Thanks for stopping by to listen to the Nature Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Terry Vanderheiden. I recently returned from a photography trip to the Pacific Northwest, where I visited and photographed waterfalls and other scenic destinations that I could find for some beautiful landscape images. On this trip, I had my first experience with going to Olympic National Park in Washington State. A good friend of mine, Tim Williams, lives not too far from the park, so he graciously spent a few days showing me around Olympic National Park. I mean, who are we kidding? Spending the day with me? This has to be a dream come true to many people. Okay, uh, some people would like it a bunch. All right. I offered to buy him lunch, but he brought lunch for both of us, so I guess it was a win-win. All kidding aside, take a walk with us as we hit the trail in Olympic National Park. There's parts of it that are rainforest. It's one of the largest national parks at over a million acres. And it ranges all the way from the Washington coast to the peaks of the Olympics. So it's a, it's a very diverse ecosystem. You can see pretty much anything and everything you want here. The, the fir trees are growing. It's pretty, pretty cool. It is cool. And the, uh, as you mentioned, there are areas that are rainforest. The whole rainforest gets over 140 inches of rain annually. 140 inches? Yes. <laughs> oh. Coming from California, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing numbers. Olympic National Park is located in the northwest section of Washington State. It has glaciers to explore, dense forests, and an emphasis on dense there. There are meadows to see. It also has a designated rainforest there to visit. And if that's not enough, it has a large section of protected, rugged coastline to investigate. The park was established in 1938 and hosts about 3.5 million guests each year. Now, in contrast, Yellowstone has about 4.8 million visitors per year. I know, 3.5 million sounds like a lot of people, but Olympic National Park has an interesting way of accommodating all those visitors. Most of the roads take the visitors around the perimeter of the park. If you really want to see the park, you have to get out of your car and put your feet on the ground and go for a hike. We were taking a short hike back to our car from Madison Falls. So this is just a simple path that's been carved up to the to waterfall viewing. Who, who builds this path in the first place? So that's the, uh, the the National Park Service. They come in, it's it's pretty amazing on some of these backcountry trails. They'll bring in pack mules with all the supplies and it's just a lot of hard hand labor to get it all done. Wow. Thank you. Sure thing. Of course. It's beautiful up there, enjoy. Only 10 more miles and you get to the top. It's great. <laughs> Good morning. Morning. So I have to comment, these trails are in really good looking shape. How's that, how's that come about? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. There's some volunteer crews, which include me and some of my neighbors that come up here. And we maintain these trails throughout the year. We 
keep them keep them clear of organic debris, keep the trails from degrading. So if there's organic debris, what what why is that an issue? It seemed like that'd be natural. It is natural, but uh, you know, a, a good trail has kind of a, a gravel base, and if you get a lot of the the decaying organic matter on their leaves, pine needles, whatever, it really uh, compacts and compresses and degrades the trail. Oh, so, so then that would have to bring the National Park Service back out to refix the trail. Correct. Okay. Which is a lot of work. So and probably some money attached to it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now we're going across a little bridge here that's over, what's the name of this creek? This is Barnes Creek. Yeah, so Barnes Creek is a nice natural free-flowing creek. Drains on down into the lake and on out to the strait. It's just beautiful, surrounded by all this old-growth forest. Yeah, look out. The, the moss that's hanging off all these trees is just incredible. Yeah, and as you can see by this sign here, uh, Streamside, got some, some breeding fish going on. Oh, okay. So it's a, it's a very vibrant ecosystem here with all of the, all the water, all the greenery. Now are salmon trying to make it up this river? Not this river, uh, but most rivers in the area, yes. Salmon, steelhead, all the, all the different species that spend their time in both salt water and fresh water. And if we didn't have the, if we didn't have the salmon here, it could affect other ecosystems right like the the bears feed on on the salmon absolutely and the orcas the orcas around here are uh they're amazing to watch especially when they go into a feeding frenzy but it's uh it, it's it's really really a treasure to see that oh my goodness yeah that sounds like something to be awesome to check out so that is something if you want to see that you would hire a boat and get out on the sound somewhere i assume uh, yeah out on the sound out on the strait wherever yeah yeah, there's actually a, a number of social media groups locally that track the movement of the orcas so that you can have a good idea where they are at any given time and find a way to get out and watch them. Olympic National Park has multiple forests of old growth trees, mostly Douglas fir and western hemlock. There's also Sitka spruce, grand fir, and western red cedar, among others. Some of these trees are over a thousand years old. Here's a, here's a great example of an old growth tree. Oh my goodness, look at that thing. It looks like it just stretches up there for forever. Yeah, and just the, the, the girth of this thing is amazing. I can't imagine how many people it would take to link arms to loop all the way around it. And these, these roots, I mean, just think of the story these roots tell over the the decades and centuries that this tree has been hanging on and doing its thing. Speaking of hanging on, we've seen a couple of trees that were downed and they look gargantuan, but they've fallen. So what, how does that happen? How does a tree that's anchored so deep fall in, in this kind of a situation? Well, that's the thing. Some of these trees aren't actually anchored all that deep because there's so much rain and so much natural moisture here they don't have to send out deep root systems in order to feed themselves and nourish themselves. So their root systems are actually fairly shallow. And if the, uh, if the ground gets saturated and a big wind comes up, they get really vulnerable. Wow. So that's what's happening here is that 
these are just toppling them over naturally and it's not like there's they're, they're not infestated by any kind of bug or anything they're just weakly grown because they don't have to dig in deep that's exactly it yeah yeah and a lot of them you know as, as you see like this one here you can see the when they fall the root ball comes up and exposes all those roots on the underside and it's it's effectively still a viable tree for a while because it's everything's still intact uh, but eventually obviously it dies and that's when they oftentimes turn into what's called a nurse tree and you'll see all kinds of new shoots coming up out of the wood of that decaying tree that has fallen down. I noticed that. So it's like these little tiny trees are starting to grow up out of the old dead tree that's laying there. Yeah. And it's... Uh, so you lose one, but you gain another hundred. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's really remarkable over time as that nurse tree decays and goes away. Uh, and you'll, you'll see examples of it where a tree looks almost suspended above the air and the root system is three or four or five feet above ground. Mm -hmm. That's because it started in a nurse tree. And as that nurse tree decayed, the root system had to grow deeper and deeper and deeper to reach ground. Oh, wow. When I visit a new park, I like to check out what locations might be the most desirable to photograph. And you can seldom go wrong with a waterfall. And since the whole rainforest is nearby, I figured we'd be in wet conditions. As is typical for me going into a wet environment, I brought along a dry towel to dab the water off my photography equipment. I also brought a raincoat for my camera gear, but as it turned out, I didn't need it. Now today when we're out here, it's like 70 degrees. It's, you know, real super comfortable. It's not, there's no wind. There's obviously no moisture, total blue skies, can't even find a cloud today. But generally, we got, we usually have a fair amount of rainfall here. A fair amount, but we are, we are on the, uh, the, the downward side. So the rainforest we were talking about, the whole rainforest, uh, is as the, the storm systems are coming in off the Pacific and coming up over the mountains, they dump all their moisture. So by the time they get here, it's honestly a fairly temperate climate. It's not nearly as wet as what most people would associate with yeah, Washington State. And I guess this has to do with uh, this being such a diverse park. I mean, you have, obviously, if you go up high, you got glaciers, and, and then, you, then you have rainforest areas, then you have just these forested areas. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there are the, the watershed system throughout the park is immense. The number of rivers and streams taking taking water down to whether it's Lake Crescent or straight out to the uh, the Strait of Juan de Fuca and the Pacific Ocean is incredible. Yeah, but it's this is really a, a treasure. I've visited a lot of national parks and I know you have too, but this uh this is a pretty special one yeah this is a this is quite a bit different than you know the ones where you drive in and see el capitan or the tetons or go you know know where the the elk are at the at the base in yellowstone you know this is this is a little bit different you drive in and you park and you you get out of your car here right 
Yeah, absolutely. There's very, very few places accessible by car throughout the entire Olympic National Park. And that's part of what keeps it so special is it's mostly all backpacking, hiking, camping. Uh, so no motorized vehicles, whether it's cars or motorcycles or even e-bikes. Wow. And so the, the, the common thing here, if you want to see this park, you got to throw a pack on and, and walk. Yeah, absolutely. And get moving and go. I mean, obviously there's people that backpack and camp up in areas, I assume, right? Yeah, there's a lot of backcountry activity up here. Um, then there's also, there's Hurricane Ridge, which is the probably one of the more famous areas and the most accessible by vehicle. Uh, and in fact, uh, Clallam County Transit runs a shuttle bus out of Port Angeles that operates, I think, four times daily when Hurricane Ridge is open, which mm -hmm. is seasonal uh, because it gets so snowed in up there. I was going to say, is it real windy up there? You're very windy, very snowy. I don't know how I figured that one out. <laughs> yeah, hurricane was your first clue, I think. So Hurricane Ridge, is it's spectacular. Unfortunately, we can't go up there today because the Hurricane Ridge Lodge, very historic lodge, which was under renovation, tragically burned to the ground a couple of weeks ago. And this trail that we took from the parking lot parallels the road. You can probably hear some of the road noise in the background. And, but it winds back to a point where all that road noise disappears. And is it, that, we weren't that far. Was that because of the, the way the trees just start blocking the sound that's going, that's flowing into the forest? Yeah, the, the density, density of the forest is remarkable. Not only can it blot out that sound, it can blot out the sunlight, can get you disoriented and turned around very, very quickly. It's, uh, you know, we were just talking about how many people strap on a pack and go hiking throughout the park. And unfortunately, there's a number of them every year that end up getting lost. And there's a very active search and rescue organization that is very quickly deployed. Those guys are guys and gals are are true pros and they do a great job of finding and bringing people back most of the time. Wow. Hey, you wouldn't think of that. Yeah, I, th I think that just because the way this park is set up, you'd think, oh, let me just grab my day pack and go for a hike. And if you say, oh, well, this looks like a good area to go, next thing you know, you don't know which way is north or south. And Yeah, it, preparation is the key. You got to know your destination. You got to know the conditions, both weather and, and trail. Mm -hmm. You got to know how far, how strenuous. Even just to that waterfall, you noted, you know, it's it's a three-quarter mile hike. It should be nice and easy, but there were a couple of very steep parts there with some yeah. some rough terrain. Yeah. And if somebody is just gonna, you know, throw on their their day pack and and tennis shoes and not pack appropriate food and appropriate emergency gear and all those other things, that's when they get in trouble. And un unfortunately, that's a little too common because. You know, I mean, tourists think, oh, it's a park. Yeah. It's, and yes, it is a park, but it's, it's a very natural park. Uh, there's not really a lot of amenities out here. Well, I also noticed that it's where it's located. I mean, you can stay in lodging pretty darn close to this park. And it doesn't take you but 
you know, minutes to get into the park. And so I would think that the people that live in the surrounding area would say, wow, this is just a, a great getaway for the day where I can go out for the day and just get away from the, my computer, get away from the things that distract you to come out here. And you just for a second, you just sit here and listen. Look at that. Birds and trees. It's awesome. Yeah, it really is. And uh, honestly, I'm surprised we haven't run across any deer yet today because I've yet to spend any appreciable amount of time out here and not have some encounters with deer. Yeah, this is so, this is just a, a, a gem of a park. It really is. You know, in this little area we're walking through right now, you can see all of this this lush undergrowth, all these ferns, all this everything else. And it's just, as you can imagine, all of this greenery is just heaven for deer to graze on. Well, you know, there's, there's not a square inch hardly that's not covered with some sort of growth. Absolutely and not. as you look towards into the forest, you know, you got the sunlight coming in, just glistening off the tops of these, uh, through the leaves, through the pine needles. And then it comes across the forest and you're looking at all this greenery that's lit up by the sun, whether it's under shade or in the bright sun. And then these plants are like using that as an opportunity, like, okay, let's grow, let's reach. You know, I, I just find it fascinating. Yeah, I just find it so grounding to be out here among all this. You look at some of these trees, like this tree that we're coming up to, I have no idea how old that thing is, but it is so, gnarled and got so many branches and forks and twists and turns. Oh, and I just marvel at this thing that for, I'm guessing 200 plus years, it's just been putting down its roots and reaching for the sky. It doesn't really care about geopolitical turmoil. It doesn't really care about social media. It doesn't really care about anything. It just does its thing and I thrives. I think what's interesting about this tree too is that there's a lot of thick branches and then only up high do you start seeing the spindly stuff. So you have so many equal width branches that are sticking out. It's, and they're all covered in moss, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's almost, a, uh, almost a perfect example of a fractal tree in nature. Just the way it, it continues to replicate the pattern from ground up many, yeah. many times over. And to crush our spirits, there goes a logging truck with thousands of pounds of wood. Yep. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's one of those things you gotta keep in context because there are, there are very responsible ways to log and I like to think most of the companies operating up and around here are following those best practices. I would think you'd almost have to you know be more cautious of your livelihood right if you if you deplete it you're going to be you're going to be the one that's out correct so this just winds us right back to the parking lot and uh we're going to go off and See what else to see in this park. Yes, we are. We're uh, our next destination. We'll loop around 
Lake Crescent a little bit, which is absolutely gorgeous. Some of the most pristine lake water around. And uh, then we'll head up onto the Strait of Juan de Fuca and go see the Salt Creek Recreation Area. The Salt Creek area is a former defense installation from back in the day, watching for intruders coming down the strait. Uh, but it's now a, a, a giant recreational preserve that is just spectacular, so I can't wait to show it to you. Looking forward to it. I'd like to thank Tim Williams for assisting me on my podcast for this episode. And I'd also like to thank you, the listener, for joining me on this little trek. If you find yourself up in Washington State, carve out some time and get over to the Olympic National Park. Thanks for listening to the Nature Photography Podcast. If you like this kind of content or have any questions or suggestions, let me know by email. Just use terry at imagelight.com. That's T-E-R-R-Y at I-M-A-G-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. You can also find more of my content over on YouTube. Just search for at TV 510 and you should find my video library. Thanks for listening. And until next time, this is your host of the Nature Photography Podcast, Terry Van Ryden.